So we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 23 where we left off and finish the chapter today. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's tough, he's saying. Now, there have been people who kind of tried to explain that away. There wasn't a literal needle that he's talking about, but he was talking about a literal needle. In other words, try to get a camel through that, and guess what? You can't do it. It's impossible. I guess maybe if you, you know, ground him all up and, you know, got him as tiny, tiny, small, and then, you know, get him through there, but who's got the patience to do all that? Because it would take, like, years to get him through that little needle hole, right? One, you know, molecule at a time, you know, like... You know, there was the, the small gate theory where there's, the, you know, the, the eye of the needle was this small gate inside this bigger gate and all that nonsense, but it's not even true. It's not true. Don't believe it. It's impossible. In verse 25, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished that Jesus said that to them. And asked, who then can be saved? They were greatly astonished at what Jesus told them. That happened quite frequently. They'd look at him and be like, what are you saying? Why are you saying that? And I, I think sometimes we lose, there's something good in that. We kind of lose that awe when Jesus says something that we need to be astonished. We need to be like shaken. We need to be shaken up. Like what? What? For our own lives. Or when we just read it, yeah, I've read that before. And, you know, kind of read through and we got this kind of, laissez-faire, you know, attitude. And, but these, these guys, they said, wait a minute, Jesus. The words that you just said, they were astonished. They said, who then can be saved? They saw it. They saw this guy, and Jesus said, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. They're saying, wait a minute. The simple answer to the question is what? Who then can be saved? The simple answer is what? No one. That's what you meant. That's what you meant, right? No one can be. The simple answer, who then can be saved? No one, because they looked at this guy, and this guy had it all, right? He was, he, he was moral. He kept the commandments. He was a good guy. He had all the money. And they, you know, they, as now, they felt, well, you know, if you got money, you're blessed, blessed by God. And, and so he had all this stuff, and they said, well, if this guy can't make it, then how are we going to make it? Who then can make it? And the simple answer is no one, right? None of us. Because the problem, the truth is, we all got something in the way. We all got some kind of issue. And notice Jesus didn't disagree with them. He didn't say, well, you know, you guys are okay. You guys are cool. No, he said, you know, no. He answered, and his answer was this in verse 26. He said, Jesus looked at them. <laughs> I didn't see that before, but I just noticed that. He looked at them, and then he said, with man, this is impossible. He probably looks at us, too, and he would look at us and say, with man, this is impossible. Unless you've got some kind of pride thing happening, and you think, well, when he looks at me, and maybe that's what this guy was thinking. I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but... But 
He looked at them and he said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God it's possible. But with man, with us, with you and with me, that's mankind, it is impossible to be saved. It's a work of God. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough. We can't keep the commandments. We can't, we can't be good enough to get there. It's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that we don't live, try to live right, right? We still need to seek to follow God and, and live according to His Word and all that, but to, to, to think that our salvation is somehow based on that, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. I think... If you, if you do a study of, of, of most other religious religions and even some quote-unquote Christian religions, you will find that they're based upon what? Works. That if you do this and this and this, you will be okay. You'll be saved. I remember seeing uh, Muhammad Ali one time on, on a television show, or maybe I read it. It's so long ago, and I'm 55 now. I can't remember which, but I know that he said these words. He says, you know, we do, we do good and we do bad, and, and if the good outweighs the bad, then we're going to make it. We're going to be with God. If the good outweighs the bad, we're going to make it. Is that what God's Word says? No. Any on the bad at all, anything at all whatsoever on there on the bad, we don't make it. It doesn't happen. Not going to happen. And I think every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we've done something. We need to fall down and repent before Him and, and, and call upon His mercy, call upon His grace, call upon Him to do what we cannot do. That's how we get in. He wanted to, you know, His disciples were going to be the guys who were going to take the message to the rest of the world, right? And He wanted them to be absolutely clear that it, we're saved by grace through faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ. No other way. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The NIV Study Bible said every attempt to enter the kingdom on the basis of achievement or merit is futile. Apart from the grace of God, no one can be saved. We just got to know that. We got to understand that. And because part of it, too, we, we understand it and we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We believe and trust in Him. And then we go on for a while. And then we kind of revert or we kind of get this change in our mind where our, our, we're saved by, by grace through faith and trusting in Him. But then we, we keep our salvation by works, right? And if our works aren't good enough, then, oh, we're in danger. We're we're in danger of losing something. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Because you're not going to lose something that isn't based upon your works. You can't lose something that's based upon what Jesus did. I know I may be stepping on a few toes, uh, you know, your understanding about that, but you really need to think about this, that, that Jesus Christ has done it all. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. That our salvation is based upon what? He has done, not upon our works, not upon fulfilling a certain, you know, we give Him our lives, and then we, if we are good and good and good and good, then we're, we, we've made it. No, we've made it because we trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Plain and simple. I like this, though, and, and there is a concept here in this verse, too, about, about the God of the impossible. We come to a God that can do the impossible, and that's exciting to me. That's hope to me. 
that he's the God who can do the impossible. You look, that, you look back, maybe the impossible to help me to be able to speak here. Um, you look back through the, the scriptures and you find these, all these different situations where God intervened, where God did something. God did something incredible. And, and I believe uh, maybe in a, simply that God is still wanting to do things today in our lives. He's still the God of the impossible. He wasn't just the God of the impossible back then. He's still the God of the impossible today. So when we look at our situation, we say, this is impossible. How can anything ever happen? This is impossible. How could I ever be good enough to become a believer? It's impossible. How could God ever, you know, how could I ever pay the rent? How could I ever get forward in this life? How could I ever serve God? How could I do any of these things? But he's the God of the impossible today as well. I believe that. I think we need to have, like what we saw earlier in the book of Matthew, that childlike faith. Become like little children, believing that God is still able to do it. Now, we, we submit all of that to His will, right? And, you know, we don't just claim it. And if we name it and claim it, well, if God's, you know, forced to do what we name and claim, no, but we ask Him to do the impossible, and He is the God of the impossible. And if He chooses to do it, He will do it. But, again, we repeat this over and over. You, sometimes you have not because you ask not. You don't, you don't go to Him. You don't go to the God of the impossible to ask Him to do something. I was thinking about, about prayer this morning. And, and you know, I, the way I would like it, this is the way I would like it, is if you pray and immediately what you pray for is immediately done and happened. Right? Now that, you know, when you look at it, He does do that sometimes. And he can do that sometimes in our lives. But what I have found to be mostly the case is that when I pray, and this in my strange way of thinking is encouraging to me, when I pray, then I know that God is going to do something, but it may take a little while, but he always answers our prayers. So we've got we to keep our eyes open and look ahead to see when he's going to do it, how he's going to do it. We don't know the answer. Of, that's up to him, how he's going to do it and when he's going to do it. But I am assured of this as I stand here today, is that God will answer our prayers. And He will do something. And sometimes it's something that we would never, ever imagine in a way that we could never, ever imagine. In, in, back in the book of Genesis, uh, you know, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? She kind of laughed about it. The Lord said, you're going, to have a, you're going to have a baby. She was like 90 or something, right? Can you imagine? And they lived a lot longer then, but so, you know, but still. I mean, can you imagine? Let me ask my wife about this. Can you imagine? But this is the Lord's answer. The Lord said to Abraham, he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want to encourage your faith today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything, not is some things, but is anything too hard for the Lord? And when you're facing insurmountable circumstances and obstacles, that God would bring back that that word is anything too hard for him 
in, in the book of Jeremiah, he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So in Genesis, it says, is anything too hard? And then in Jeremiah, it says, nothing is too hard. That just about covers it, right? That covers it all, I think, this principle of God's power that, that he makes the impossible possible, the God of the impossible. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I related that to marriage a couple of weeks back, if you recall, because there's a principle in there. And, I, and, and we always mention this when we do our premarital counseling, that you know, you're going to face stuff. And it's going to look impossible. And, and perhaps with man in that marriage situation, in that relationship, it's impossible. But, but that's why you need to have a relationship with God and, and God in the middle of your marriage that with the impossible, God can do something. All things are possible with Him and for Him to keep our, our, our marriages happening and on the right track. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You look around at, at what's happening in our society in terms of marriage, you can pretty much see with man, this is impossible. And then there are Christian marriages that are leaving God out. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Look at Peter, though, in verse 27. Peter answered him. He hears all that. And again, again, I think Jesus is trying to, <clears throat> to teach them and, and to to kind of fill them up with his word, that, that they're going to be the ones that take this out to the whole world. And Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Sometimes you wonder, where is this guy coming from? Like, what is, ha what is happening with him? There's some things I like. There's some things I don't understand. I think his motives maybe are a little bit mixed up. And again, that's kind of human for us, isn't it? Well, God, I give you this, and what are you going to give me? It's like, isn't that part of earning something? If I give you this, then what are you going to give me? That's not to say that God doesn't give back to us, as we're going to see in a, in a minute. But, but Peter's answering, and he's kind of comparing himself to this other guy that walked away all sad. He says, listen, nothing stopped us. We left everything for you to follow you. We gave it all up to follow you. And I, and I, and I see in that, yeah, he, his motives and his understanding might be a little mixed up, but, but still there's that choice that he made. He said, you know what? Nothing else is important compared to following you. We have left everything to follow you. It's a choice. It's not just money. It's not just one thing, but he says everything. It's not just I gave up. He was like this guy was asked to just go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. You have treasure in heaven, and you'll come and then you can come and follow me. That was what was holding him up. But but Peter, he says, "You're we've left everything to follow you." Now again, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of us have to you know become. Uh, destitute and give up everything and everything we have, but I think it's a matter of the heart, really, is what I think. It's a matter of the heart, that we've laid it all out on the altar for Him. We've left it all there to follow Him, not because we might get something, but because He's worthy, because He's worthy, and He alone is worthy to, to lay it all out there before Him. 
We heard a, a, a CD a little while back by a guy named uh, Francis Chan, and uh, it was really he, it was really kind of funny and kind of exciting. Uh, he have he has a church in California, I believe, California. Anyways, uh, he talks about at their church, um, you know, they have like a baptismal thing like what we have here, and they keep it, you know, when they're having church, they keep it full and warm. And if people respond to the gospel, they take them right there, and, and he talks to them a little bit and baptizes them right then. That's actually more like the New Testament model, really. When someone would believe, they'd say, well, there's some water, let's go get baptized right now. Not, oh, well, let's go through seven weeks of classes or let's wait till the, the pool, you know, thaws, you know. Um, but anyways, so they have this thing, and, and, and uh, there was this guy there, and, and, and this guy went up there, and, and he was talking to him, and they w- he would talk to them first, and he, and he said, do you really understand, like, what it is you're doing before they would baptize, baptize them? And it'd be right then, and, and not a long time, but they'd ask him, and and uh, this guy said to him, he said, I'm all in. And that's kind of like, do, you, do some of you know that term, all in? Why do you know that term? <laughs> it's a poker term, right? I don't understand it. Wait a minute. It's basically you're playing a game, right? And you're, you put it all into the pot, everything. Everything you got, you push it into the middle, right? And I'm all in. And, and this guy, obviously, that, that was his deal. He was, he was all involved in uh, gambling or whatever, and he says, I put it all in. And so uh, he says that this church, you know, that became like the, the, the catchword, sort of like throw deep for us, you know, they, would get, they got T-shirts made that said all in, and, you know, they find it in all these places, we're all in. But that's what Peter was saying, man, we're all in put it all in. I've given it all up. I, I, I've go, I'm going all the way. I'm not just going to go partially. I'm not just going to, you know, tep, uh, step my little toe in the water and, and test the water a little bit. No, I'm diving in completely, totally. Jesus went, and, and speaking of, of uh this guy, Matthew, who's writing this gospel for us, he went and saw him. He was a tax collector. He was sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, it says, left everything and followed him. In that same chapter in Luke, there were James and John, the, the fishermen, Peter's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, uh, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. What keeps us from jumping all in? We're fearful. We're afraid God's going to do something. God's going to make me into some kind of a, a Christian weirdo or some kind of Jesus freak or something like that. So I'm afraid to go that way. What, what are my friends and my coworkers and my family going to think about me if I go all in? It's the only way there is. There's no other way. There's no little going in. It's all or nothing. You think about that, though, near the end of the Gospel of John, um, Peter says, hey, man, you know, I'm going out fishing. And they went back out fishing, and Jesus, you know, said, what are you guys doing out there? 
I thought you left everything. You know, we, we, we kind of do that too, don't we, though? We, we, we dive in, and, but then there we say, well, let me just go out for a little bit, you know, get a little bit over here, a little bit over there. There's a, there's a passage in the book of Deuteronomy and, and in the book of Exodus um, where there was a time that servants were to be set free, to let go, let them go free. But it says, but if your servant says to you, I, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family is well off with you. Excuse me, because he loves you and your family and he is well off with you. Then take an all. You know what an all is? And push it through his earlobe into the door. And he will become your servant for life. I, I, honestly, this was not a pun intended kind of thing. I just noticed that. You take an all, and we're talking about being all in. But, but there is a kind of a pun there, and I think it's a good one, though, that they would say, listen, I don't want to go anywhere else. And so they would take this all, and they'd push it right through the ear into the doorpost. I don't want to go anywhere else. says he will become your servant for life. And I think that's what God is calling us to do. Get, get our ears pierced. Right there, all in, that all, through our earlobes, into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Let's move on. Verse 28 says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. You notice there that he, he says that it, that it does come back, that he does take care of us. He does bless us. Some of it is in the future. Some of what we're going to receive, he's talking here about when Jesus sits on his glorious throne. And it says in, in the book of Luke, you know, he says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. Jesus said to them, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There were certain things that were going to come back to them that were in the future. In Revelation chapter 3, it says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. There are certain things that will be ours in the future. But it's not just in the future is what he says there in, in uh, that second verse that we read in verse 29. He says that, that even here, and Mark adds those words, in this present age, now, and in the age to come. In this present age now, and in the age to come. But he also adds the words, I have to, I have to let you know that he adds the words, and with persecutions. So God is going to bless us and take care of us even here, now, in this world, in this life. He's promised to do that. There's going to be some persecutions, though. There's going to be some trials. 
And I think especially if we're, if we're completely given over to following Jesus, there will be people who don't, who don't you know, like us because of that. Jesus said in John, if they don't like me, they're not going to like you. There's sometimes a cost, though. He says everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or fields for my sake. There's a cost. There's a cost sometimes. But when you think about the question, you know, what, what, what have I given up for God? You know, that really amounts to much compared to what he's given to us. It's a, it, here, it's a hundred times. The factor is a hundred times, but really it's way more than that when we look at eternal life. It's a million. It's, it's eternally greater. Nothing compared to what he gives us. And I've seen it and experienced it even in my own life and following Jesus. You know, when I've, when I've left something, houses, brothers and sisters, we moved out here, father and mother. God has provided for us incredibly. You know, we've lived in some incredible places. I remember we went down, we, we just got here, we hadn't been here long, and, and we went down to this little tiny cottage uh, down in, in uh, Arnold's Neck. How many of you know where Arnold's Neck is? In this little house, you know, and it was like, living in California, you can't even get near the water unless you are, have a lot of money. You can't even, they won't let you go, no, go near it unless you go on the beach. But I remember going to this house and, and uh, you know, found this ad for it and, and I go into it and it was like I was afraid to even look at it because I thought there's no way, there's no way that we're going to be able to live there. That's impossible. I was afraid to even go. There's nobody there. It was empty. I was afraid to go up on the deck to kind of just even touch the place. Seriously, I was afraid. Like, I don't want to get my hopes up because this is not going to happen. This is impossible. But, you know, we went to that house and we met the lady who, who owned it and we brought all our kids. We had, you know, these, all these kids and this old station wagon and, and five kids. Our nephew was with us and, and uh, she took one look at us and said, it's almost Christmas time. You need to move in here. And, and, and she took pity on us, but it was the Lord that opened the door, you know. God will take care of us. It's not all about living on the water. We only lived there for a few years and we loved it. But, you know, every, every step of the way when God, you know, when we had a need, God would provide it. You know, brothers and sisters, you know, you guys and so many others through the years. Brothers and sisters, family, father and mother. You know, Barbara gives me a hard time, but she's just like my mom. That's why. You know, and Bill was just like a dad, you know. And the kids, the children, all these favorites that I have. And the fields, the, the fields that God has put in front of us. Jerusalem here in Rhode Island, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. The different people all around the world that he's allowed us to become part of. You can't, you, you can't compare what God gives to us to what we give up for him. It's, there's no comparison, really. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. One guy said this. He says, those who have the most here will not necessarily have the most in heaven. It's not as the world sees it. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? 
at the heart. I don't know about you, but I want to be all in. Is it a challenge? Yes, it is. Is it hard sometimes? Yes, it is. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to hold on to a little bit of this stuff and a little bit of that, but my heart's saying, just go for it. Just give it all to God. Just go for it. But my, my flesh is saying, well, I don't know, man. And there's like a battle that takes place within us, isn't there? You know what? You, you know that battle? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do, Paul says. We're going to have communion now, and you know, this is a time for us to come back to the cross again. And maybe for you, this is a time to just lay it all out before him and say, you know what? what what's more important? What could there be more important? And following after him. I want you to turn to one passage with me. Um, Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And this is a prophecy, but I think there's some incredible stuff in it as well for us. It says, And I will pour out on the, in, on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him. I pray that God would pour out that spirit of grace and supplication, grace and prayer here upon us as we look upon him the one that we have pierced. But look down at, at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. We're washed by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to remember. And maybe this is a time for you to make that very first step to say, I'm, I, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to throw deep. I'm going to go for, for my life means nothing apart from Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it all to him right here and right now. I think this is a daily thing, though, personally. Every day. Every day. Revelation chapter 1 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Shall we pray together? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the grace that you have poured out upon us and that nothing is impossible with you and that you have given to us by grace that salvation so rich, so full, so free. And all we need to do is look up to the cross as they looked up to that that stick with a snake upon it, and, and they were spared from the plague. We look up to the cross and our Savior and the blood that was shed for us, that we were washed from our sins. Our dear, gracious Father, we thank you that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you that you've put it within our reach, and all we need to do is ask.
Simply ask. Maybe some here this morning are at that place to simply ask and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If that's you this morning, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I open my heart. I can't do it. But you have done it for me. I confess my sins. I turn to you today. 